Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And away we go. It's another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. My name is Pete Sweeney. I'm the editor-in-chief of ArrowheadPride.com. Joined once again by my esteemed deputy editor, John Dixon. John, is it better to open presents on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, or do you guys do something separate entirely? Uh, you know, it changes every year. Uh, sometimes uh, we'll give, we'll, we typically get each other, you know, like four or five little gifts and maybe one big thing. Mm. And sometimes we'll do it over the course of several days leading up to Christmas. Sometimes it just varies a lot. We just really haven't figured out a good tradition for this stuff yet. Now, when wow. I was a kid, we did it all on Christmas morning. Right. Maybe one present on Christmas Eve. That right. also was a little, there's a little bit of variance in that too. But as I grew uh, up, it was Christmas Eve. The family gets together. They exchange gifts with each other. Christmas Day, Santa comes. So I then see you would open up. Yeah. Then you would open up the presents on Christmas morning. But everyone has their traditions and happy holidays to everyone. Even our, our non, <laughs> non Christmas celebrating cheese fans. I'm sure there's a ton of those as well. So happy holidays to you guys as well. This is our, our holiday edition in a way of the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. When we get together next time, the Christmas game will have passed against the Seattle Seahawks on Christmas Eve, and we'll continue to get to know this Chiefs team a little bit better. It's funny that you can get through, John, what is 15 weeks of the NFL season and still be a little bit unsure of who the Chiefs are. Like, I <laughs> I believe, I see their 11-3 and record. I believe they're a good team. I believe they're an elite team. But you just are still left questioning, is this a team that could win an AFC tournament and get to another championship, which is the ultimate goal? Yeah, I think this is kind of an unfortunate set of circumstances that we've played a couple of teams that had a lot to gain from beating the right. Chiefs uh, at this point in the season. I think it's kind of giving people a different idea of what the team is all about that may or may not. It may be right. I'm not going to say these people are wrong, but right. I, I, it may not be giving us uh, the ideal picture of what's really going on. I'd feel a lot better about it if, for example, the Chiefs had beaten the Bengals. Mm-hmm. Um, in the regular season yeah. game or the Bills. But that didn't happen. And, you know, those are the games that you're going to be most likely to lose during the course of the regular season. And and in the end of the, in the final analysis, it's yeah. what happens yeah. in the playoffs that matters. So I'm a little angry at the Chiefs today because I'm certainly one of these where I'm one of these guys that's like they have 11 wins, everybody relax type deals. But when you go to overtime with the team that enters the game one eleven and one, it's just yeah. it, every mm-hmm. week it gets conti- it continues to get more and more difficult to defend that point that the Chiefs are this team that just finds ways to win and they have, make it a tough time against everybody. You can only do that for so long. You're playing with fire there, and sure, I'm sure we'll get into more of that on this show. This show is going to be a little bit different. 
because of the schedule shift change, which means the Chiefs are playing on Saturday this week instead of Sunday, the Chiefs changed their media schedule. So Andy Reid did not and will not speak to the media on Monday. He'll pick up on Tuesday because everything is a, a day forward. So we'll hear from Andy Reid this week on Tuesday and Thursday. If you want to listen to Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes speak tomorrow, Steve will get that up on from the podium right here on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. So in this first segment, we will have our marinated takeaways. We'll have a second segment where we'll do our usual news roundup. And we got a special third segment I built in today. John will detail our playoff picture. He's become sort of a playoff picture expert. And we have a flash poll <laughs> having to do with a familiar friend. So I won't tell you the details on that, but we put out a poll on Twitter this morning and we will read the results and react to them. So it's a, a jam-packed show. Of course, we have to read our reviews. If you go on Apple iTunes and read a review, or I should say leave a review, we will read it right here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. And we have a ton in today five oh well which got us to 960 reviews this is a tall task i don't think we're getting there i'm having my doubts just like i am a little bit about the chiefs this morning of getting to 1000 ratings by january 1 if we're able to do that right now it's december 19th as we record this at 12 24 p.m if we're able to do that i will somehow eat ice cream cake as we do the show which will will make for a a very interesting Weird show, but I, I think it's, it'll be funny. And it's a little bit of a extra motivation for you guys out there who enjoy all of our programs to maybe get us to 1,000 ratings, which we would love to do by what would be 2023. But let's get into the reviews. First one from Tom. Good work, fellas, he says. Love the podcast and good ice cream cake. Thanks for all your insights and analysis on our beloved Chiefs. If you could see Mahomes paired up with any current receiver in the NFL, who would you want? John, do you have a non-chief that comes to mind for Patrick Mahomes that you would love to see him paired up with? Um, I don't know that it matters. I've I've come to believe that uh, Patrick Mahomes can make anybody a, a a good receiver. You know, if he gets some kind of minimum amount of skill, um, he I'm, could make anybody good. I'm not a, a supporter always of of the layup joke, but how about Tyreek Hill? He, it seems he seems like he would fit Patrick Mahomes pretty well. Why not pair him up yeah. with? Well, with yeah, Larry? but that's no, kind no. of <laughs> cheating on the question. I'm just saying. No, I. You know, <laughs> if I'm if I'm not trying to make a cheap joke there, I think I I would go for one of these big receivers that high points the ball like a like a DK Metcalf. I mean, it would be great to see him with someone like that. Uh, I mean, imagine what what Patrick could do with. Uh, Jamar Chase or an AJ Brown. I would love to see him with a big time, deep threat, big bodied receiver. Juju is all, is almost like that for me, but he's a little bit more intermediate than really having. A, I think that deep ball threat that some of these receivers have in the NFL. So maybe one day down the line, you'll see Patrick Mahomes paired with one of these guys. But to John's point, he does a, a good job with anybody that he is paired with. All right, next review. This comes from DC Chiefs fan. The AP Network provides the best Chiefs content, and is it's informative and entertaining. I listen to every show and they all complement each other perfectly. I appreciate your honest opinions and you aren't afraid to relay criticism of the team when necessary. Normally, I don't leave reviews, but I'd like to contribute to Pete having to eat ice cream cake. On one of the shows. <laughs> Does he have to eat the entire thing during the show? Also, have you ever thought about switching podcast partners just for a week or maybe combining all the shows into one for a holiday episode keep up the great work go chiefs no i like that idea though i will mm. eat the whole cake uh, on the show uh, if we are able to get to a thousand again we're we're at uh 960 
at the moment. This one from MD Chiefs fan. I listen to most Chiefs content out there, and the AP Network is consistently better than others. I'm impressed with each show. I don't want to pick favorites because you all are so great. Let's get Pete eating some ice cream cake. Some people are really into this ice cream cake, which I'm happy about. <laughs> I, that was the whole idea to drive reviews. Out of structure, all AP podcasts are must listen for all Chiefs fans, but special shout out to Cop and Stags. Always look forward to their breakdown and conversations. And we always want to give Steve credit as we welcome him, him in here for the, the next podcast review here. Steve has done a really nice job putting together, I think, this, this, this schedule. And as you can see from the reviews, there's something for everybody, which is something that I love. But let's get into this review from Brad the Red Raven. I love the variety of the great podcasts and content put out uh, all week. The editor show is my favorite. Out of Structure provides great analysis. Those Brits on the Great British Chiefs show really know their football. Coast to Coast is fun with great banter. But... Show and BK just fall sh short of Chief fans' expectations. Serta spelled incorrectly. And BK are great, but Ron, the negative Hughley, constantly <laughs> bashes Mahomes and the Chiefs, and I honestly stopped listening. Ron, you don't have to be a Chiefs homer, but if you're on a Chiefs podcast, you probably should say something positive about the team at least once every four or five episodes. If I wanted to listen to a Skip Bayless wannabe, I would just watch Undisputed. <laughs> it's a shame BK and Serta again, spelled incorrectly, are stuck with Ron, the no-show Hughley, as they both provide great Chiefs analysis. How about a Serta and BK show? So, Steve, very quickly, what is your reaction to this? I was expecting a, a review like this, actually, for Ron this week, um, because the way we led last week's show, and really the whole conversation was just, he acknowledges the greatness of Patrick Mahomes, but he said... <laughs> Patrick Mahomes is held to a higher standard than everyone else, which I totally agree with. Yes. And he was like, Patrick Mahomes has to carry you to a victory, even against this Houston Texans team a week after throwing three bad interceptions against the Denver Broncos. And Patrick Mahomes did that. Patrick Mahomes yes. did exactly yeah. what Ron was mm -hmm. talking about. So I, I don't think that he was particularly negative as much as he was just stating that Patrick Mahomes is held to a higher standard than everyone else. And I think Patrick Mahomes did that on Sunday against the Houston Texans. I think you're right. I think he followed it up. And I think we earned a new nickname for Ron when he gets a little too spicy. Ron the no-show. Uh, <laughs> something we'll keep in, the, in our back pocket for sure. So thank you to Steve. No, we're not replacing the show. Just skip it if you don't like it. And the last review, love the pod. I've been wondering all year, why hasn't the Chiefs given Kelsey or Mahomes the captaincies on their jersey? I haven't seen Mahomes or Kelsey or nobody on the team have the season on their jersey this year. I believe that the Chiefs like to send out different captains each game. They have mm -hmm. a special tradition yeah. when the playoffs begin. Two players on offense, two players on defense, and two players on special teams who will get the Cs for the postseason run. But this is something that they switch up every week and kind of use as a, an honor each year for the captains. to. And that's why, you, if you notice, you'll see different Chiefs taking the coin toss pretty much every week. And I, I think this is something that Andy Reid likes to do to answer your question there but everybody knows the unofficial captain of course is patrick Holmes. all right again we're at 960 i i have my doubts about getting to a thousand but if you get us to 1000 reviews ice cream cake the first episode of 2023 i will eat it in its entirety all right john it's it's that time already here into the episode it's time for our world famous marinated takeaways let's go Well, I'm going to let this marinate. You know, let that one marinate, and then we can circle back. Adapt. React. Readapt. It takes time. It 
takes years. <laughs> That's the takeaway. Yep, it's that time. We, we have our, our music playing here. We love our, our marinated takeaway music. And, of course, it's the perfect segue to, to get going on what was a strange, one of the stranger Chiefs games that you'll see, a 30-20 to 20 for overtime win in Houston against the Texans. As Steve mentioned a little bit earlier, Patrick Mahomes played magnificently in this game, 36-41 for 336 yards and two touchdowns. The Chiefs had over 500 net yards. Normally a game where you would think if you just saw those two statistics, you'd be like, oh, the Chiefs won by by 20, by by 40. Nope, not mm-hmm. to be. A 30-24 to 24 win for Kansas City. So strange game. John, we're going to start with you for for the first marinated takeaway, as we always do. What did you what did you think about this win? Well, I'm very disappointed in the post game conversation that is centered on Carl Cheffers. Now, I'm not going to claim that Carl Cheffers has been uh, nice to the Chiefs over the years. I don't think that's fair. I think he's made a lot of calls that people have had issue with, and I think that's okay to disagree with the referee's call. A lot of these things are judgment calls. There's always going to be d- disagreement about it, but I'm, I'm really frustrated by this idea that uh, because Cheffers isn't necessarily the best re- referee in the league, that this just proves that the whole thing is corrupt and the, the that the referees are doing something to help Vegas make money. That's just crazy to me. That the whole idea that. Uh, odds makers need NFL referees to help them make money is ridiculous. Okay. The whole point of a point spread, I have to say this like all the time to people is to get an equal amount of money on both sides of the wager. And that way, no matter which way the way the game goes, the bookmaker gets the VIG and they make money. That's how, that's how this works. So, getting a referee to make it so that some team doesn't cover the spread doesn't really help them. They've already done everything they need to do in order to be helped. And so this idea that it's all corrupt is just crazy to me. And it it makes me crazy because we're not talking about the team. We're talking about the officials and stuff that's got nothing to do with the game. I think what adds juice to the conspiracy theory is the Tim Donaghy thing happening in the NBA. But that was a very isolated thing that Mm -hmm. was weird. I don't believe that there's a conspiracy going on in the NFL. I I, the Carl Cheffers thing. Does he have a vendetta against the Chiefs? He calls a lot of penalties against the Chiefs. And this is the Mm -hmm. this is the referee that Travis Kelsey said didn't belong in a footlocker years ago. (laughs) This is also the referee where you had thousands and thousands of people at Arrowhead Stadium booing him and saying that he sucks and he was so disheartened by it that he had like half a voice as he was announcing a penalty against the opposing team with that whole Chris Jones situation earlier in the season and so could you convince me that maybe Carl Sheffers is not the friendliest when it comes to judgment calls on Kansas City okay but I don't think it's in this grants conspiracy to have money I actually right. had it marinated takeaway on the referees, a little bit different than yours. So I'll just go to that one. That was going to be my second one, but I'll just read it now. I think it's more of an idea of not really being a complaint about Sheffers or going against the Chiefs or conspiracy. It's just a complaint about flags in general. I might have sure. said this before that I'm remembering. It's just too many flags. And it's not even in this Chiefs-Texans game. It's across the league this year. I don't mm-hmm. know what has to be done 
and what conversations can happen in the off season for this to change. But it's just been generally speaking, and I watch a lot of ball, like when the chiefs aren't playing and there is an isolated game and I can, I'll, I'll be watching. And it's, and it's been in every game that I've, I've taken in this year and it just makes for a way less entertaining product. Mm-hmm. I hate to be that guy. That's like, let the boys play, but it really <laughs> let, let it be decided on the field. Like, of course people will get upset. You saw in the Washington, New York giants game last night where there was a very clear non call that look, it was at the end of the game. It was a bang, bang play. Washington shouldn't have let it come down to that, but, people are way less angry about a non-call than a referee throwing a flag in a big spot. A lot of times it happens in the end zone. And then all of a sudden it changes the course of the game. And then you see the replay and you're like, you know, that's pretty soft. So I just think they're just, I think there generally needs to be a shift to less flags one way or another. I'm not sure how the NFL gets there, but I, I think those discussions need to be had. And a lot of times they're ha- they're happened in the off season where the competition, this, this is why there's a competition committee. They get together to talk about these things. And I, there just needs to be less referee involvement in general. It just feels like this year in particular, it's just been too many flags in Chiefs games and across across the NFL. So that's that's my initial memory to take. Well, you know, I think part of the trouble is, is that we're in a position that we can make the calls ourselves, you know, and that wasn't always the case. I'm old enough to remember when instant replay wasn't a thing, you right. know. And I, I wasn't a quick point on that, John, you know, what's always funny to me is now you still have, you still have receivers and tight ends and running backs that are, that catch the football and try to fake it. Sometimes it's like, you can't fake it anymore. (laughs) Yeah, right. Cause you, and back in that, back in time, you used to be able to fake it and fool the ref and there was no way to reverse it anyway. Right. And, 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 but the thing is that there were bad calls in those days too, but there was always an element of uncertainty about it, you know, that there'd be an editorial about it by the sports columnist in the paper the next day because the call should have obviously been the other way. Mm-hmm. But there was always uncertainty about that. Right. And now, you know, we get to we get to make the call in slow motion and high definition. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't that long ago that it sometimes wasn't easy to tell even on the replay whether somebody got his foot in bounds or not, because, you know, you were talking about, you know, low definition television with 525 lines of revolution resolution. And sometimes you couldn't tell on the replay even. And now though, you know, it's anybody could do it if we're just looking at the video. And I think that's part of what's going on here is that the referees are being held to such a high standard that they can't compete with it. And I don't think that means the answer is to have the games officiated through, you know, video from New York, because there's always going to be guys who get it wrong. I mean, even even on a typical uh, review call, you know, two guys watching, they're going to have different views of what the call should be. So you're always going to have these problems. I wonder sometimes if we'd be better off if we just let the referees call the play and that's going to what it's going to be. But you know, with modern technology available, we're not going to stop instant replay. They're going to show them over and over again if they're wrong. So well, I don't I know do, what the answer is, but I agree with you. It's too much. I yeah. do think that 
the catch is still a mystery. I think this year roughing the passer has become quite a mystery. And oh, yeah. again, I just think there's too much referee impact. I'm not a mastermind. I'm not in on the competition committee. I don't know what the solution is. I just know in general it the game is less entertaining when there's so many yeah. flags. Yeah. I'm not oh, I agree with that. I'm, and I'm not saying that the Chiefs got screwed or anything or the referees were trying to whatever. If you think that, you think that. But I'm just I'd rather there just be less flags in general. So anyway. Let's continue on with marinated takeaways. I'm sure we're going to gear now more towards the game, John. So what do you have for number two? Yeah, I, I would not like to be Steve Spagnolo today because everybody's complaining about the defense. The defense actually played pretty well yesterday. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the if you look at the numbers uh, from yesterday's game, I mean, it's kind of amazing. Um, you know, the 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 Texans averaged three point four yards a rush. Yeah. Um they they averaged uh let's see I bring up the right thing here. Um 219 yards total, 3.8 yards per play on the day. Um you know, 4.2 yards a pass. I mean the 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 the, the third down wasn't great, but it was only 4 of 10 and after the game people are talking about like the chiefs had just allowed the Texans to run over them at will. And that's not really what happened. They had a couple of really short fields that resulted in touchdowns. I mean, one of them was what 17 yards <laughs> and the other was at midfield from those, uh, those fumbles. And then they had one long drive. They had one 80 yard drive for a touchdown. And then another one, I think was 65 yards and they held them to a field goal. That's a pretty good day for the defense. You know, you can't do much about what happens when the offense uh, gives the defense a short field. I mean, it'd be great if the defense could hold the Texans mm -hmm. to a field goal when they have a 17-yard field to run, but that's just not likely to happen. It's just too easy, you I, know? Yeah, I, I, I think when you look at the yardage differential in this game, it's just it's confusing that it, it took overtime because the Chiefs, again, had 502 yards to the Texans, 219. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's usually pretty good. You lost a turnover battle, which we've talked about on this this podcast before. And this plays into my second takeaway. And it's just, it's trying to stay positive. I wrote, wrote in my rapid reaction after this game, I think there are some very real, tangible problems against the Chiefs. And I, I'm going to list them here, what I, what I think. I think it's inexperience in coverage at times, which is going to happen. You're playing two rookies in the nickel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not turning the ball over which has become a bug yeah. Harrison Bucker in the kicking operation, which we can, can discuss in a, in a second here and then offensive line play, especially in the tackles and when pass blocking. Cause I, I think they're, they're, they've gotten better in, in run blocking because you're starting to see Isaiah Pacheco really, I think have some room, which mm -hmm. really hasn't happened consistently throughout the year. Um, the pocket though, it seems like it, it, it it always breaks down. I mean, it, it's pretty consistently breaking down, and a lot of times it's because of the the tackle play. I think three of those four problems are fixable. That's where I'm trying to stay positive, and I think you'll start to see the results in the final scores once they start to get better at these things. And that was the inexperienced coverage. That that's naturally going to continue to have more experience over sure. the next three mm -hmm. weeks as you yeah. enter the playoffs. Not turning the ball over. Ball security is fixable. It's annoying as hell right now what the Chiefs are doing, but that is a fixable problem that from a week-to-week -week basis you can improve. This Harrison Butker kicker operation, I have more notes on this in a second, 
I'll get to that, but I believe that is fixable. And then the unfixable thing right now is just seems the quality of the tackles. And that's why I continue to say, I just wonder if at, at some point Lucas Niang gets inserted in there just to see. I feel like as the weeks goes on, I know, John, you've had points about this in the past. It seems less and less likely because the Chiefs just keep winning. And it seems like Andy Reid sticks with his offensive line when the Chiefs are winning. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, the offensive line, especially in pass protection, could be better. Uh, we had that busted blitz pickup by Isaiah Pacheco. He's going to get better as time goes on. You see the value of Jarek McKinnon. I don't want to spoil that point because that's my last takeaway. But back to the kicker operation, what I found interesting last night is Dustin Colquitt, an old friend, a very familiar mm-hmm. friend to Kansas City, yeah. taken, taken to Twitter. We haven't written this up, but I'm, I plan to when we're done with this podcast. Uh, Dustin Colquitt weighing in on Tommy Townsend, not Harrison Butker. Harrison Butker's now missed a couple kicks in this last stretch of games, one extra point in this game, obviously a key field goal in this game. This is what Colquitt had to say about the holding operation. Townsend is an exceptional punter, dot, 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 dot. If you look back at the holds on the extra point, the laces are facing the sidelines, and on the missed 50-plus yarder, he pulled the ball to him at the last second and forced the ball to go to the right. He's been missing the spot all year. This is a... you can quote Ace Venturi on the laces out type of deal, but there's a certain way to be to correctly hold the football. And, and Dustin Colquitt is saying that Townsend is putting Butker in a bad spot, which if you really dig into Dave Tobe's comments throughout the year, when Butker has missed, he does always talk about the operation, not always, yes. but a lot of the times mm-hmm. he'll talk yep. about the operation. And with Colquitt kind of coming out and saying this, maybe this was Tobe's way of, of protecting his guy in a way but he's very straightforward, and I know he's going to be asked about this on Wednesday this week because it's different. Different. Usually mm-hmm. it'll be Thursday, yeah. but it's Wednesday this week. And so we'll see what he says. But I, I think it's a lot of things. I think it's Harrison Butker who's coming back from injury still. The Chiefs have been on sure. record and saying he's not going to be 100%. I think there's a mental aspect to his confidence right now. You're always going to be less confident when you're in a bad stretch like he is. But I do think there's something to this Townsend thing. Yeah. And now that I think it's out there. Maybe the Chiefs can find a way to correct this in their final three weeks of the season. So you feel a little bit more confident with Butker as you enter the playoffs. Yeah, of course, if if it's a problem now, uh, Townsend's finishing up, what, his second year as the punter on the team? Uh, yeah. Is it something that they can fix that easily? I'm, you know, I'm just not convinced that maybe they can turn, if that's the problem, if that's you know 80% of the problem, if they can uh, fix that in the course of a couple of weeks before the postseason, it's it's a little concerning to me. But I have to say that you know, if Dustin Colquitt says it, I'm I'm going to be inclined to believe that it's true. This is a guy that is, you know, at the top of his profession for a long time, and if he's noticing that, I, I'm going to tend to believe he knows what he's talking about. Yeah, and then again, wrapping the point, I just think the other problems. Are- are going to get better. Maybe it's blind optimism, but again, inexperience and the coverage at times you've seen them, them get got in, in a way, not turning the football over the offensive line. I think you're just going to have to deal with, I think it is what it is at this point. The fortunate thing is I, I think they are run blocking well. And I think Patrick Mahomes pocket presence has really improved. So even at times when it breaks down, you saw in that Juju touchdown, I believe it was now two weeks ago. He just has a sense for getting out of there. And I think you can still win in the playoffs because he's that good, even with. But it, it, you do need to improve the offensive line at tackle positions in the in the offseason. And that is a conversation I think will curb 
until then. We'll see what the Chiefs end up doing. I know Orlando Brown is going to be a thing again. They need to get better at right tackle. We'll see if they tweak anything in the interior. I tend to think they like the interior, but we'll see. And so I, I just... That's where I think I'm at. So I'm I'm cautiously trying to remain positive for you all out there, but I'm not I'm not killing you if you're negative. This does this right yeah, now has, mm-hmm. has the feel of a team that could get upset pretty easily from by, by a good team. Not you know, another Texans couldn't pull it off, but like a good team when you're you know you're gonna be facing them in January and February. I can understand where you would think you're you're scared. I, I, I don't blame you at this stage. All right, John, what's your final marinated takeaway? Well, and I would just I, I think I'll just extend on what you just said there. You know, yes. Um, when you see two games like this where the Chiefs have, um, you know, ended up playing a close game against a pretty bad team, and that's a fair description of these last two games, but they've also played very well against good teams. And I, 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 hate, to, I hate to say that the Chiefs play down to their opponents. I hate it when people say that because I don't think that's really a thing. I think what happens is that games get into an ebb and flow, like I said last week. And this was one of those times, again, this on Sunday, because there were turnovers that allowed the the Texans to get up to some scores. And, and so the Chiefs had to, you know, figure out a way to score more points and win the game. And they did. Yeah. But, you know, that's going to be true in the games against good teams, too. And I don't necessarily believe that this really impacts what they could do in the playoffs. It might. You know, we might see some of these problems in the playoffs and and go, well, we should have seen this company, you know, and, and if that happens, that happens, you know, it, it's but I'm just not convinced that a team with an 11-3 record is going to be a, a, an early out in the postseason. That just doesn't make any sense to me. And I, I, I feel that you have to you have to what was it that Bill Parcells used to say? Uh, your record is who you are. And I think that's true. You know, and the Chiefs have yeah. a good record and we ought to be celebrating that at this point. Yeah. And I, like I, I just am not blaming people anymore, I think, just for for being concerned. And, I, and the, the reason sure. is, if you look at the playoff standings as they are, Buffalo just wins out. The Chiefs don't have any control over that. They're going to be playing right. on wild card weekend. The options right now are the Chargers for a third time this season and the Miami Dolphins. And it just are are the Chiefs ready at this stage to definitely win those games. No, the an- the answer right now is honestly they're not. But the fortunate thing is they do have three weeks to clean it up, and we'll see if they can. Mm-hmm. On a more positive note, Jarek McKinnon is the best player in the NFL. Look at this guy over the last three yeah. years. Yeah, 24 attempts for 125 yards. That's 5.21 yards per attempt. That's a rushing touchdown. He's been targeted 19 times, and he has caught. 17 of those passes for 191 yards. That's 11.24 yards per reception for four touchdowns. So if you're keeping track at home, that's five touchdowns for Jarek McKinnon, the 30-year-old, in three weeks. So my question here, just raising the question, being a little bit of a, a Goldilocks, I guess, is McKinnon touching the football too much? No, that's that's definitely not too much. So we're going to go to the other two. Just right. Um, or should it be touching <laughs> the ball even more? Because that they keep feeding him and it just seems like every play good things happen. And I'm, I'm, you know, you had the Pacheco fumble here. So you got a little bit more McKinnon than you normally would. And it led to positive things for the chiefs. And that of course was capped off by the game winner. We didn't have it in, in the press conference, but you saw some videos coming out of the locker room where he told everyone in the huddle, he was going to score a touchdown before he did. 
mm-hmm. and then he scored a touchdown. And I I think a big part of McKinnon's game, to be fair, for maybe the other side of this, is Andy Reid scheming him up. I think he puts McKinnon in very good positions, and Andy Reid has a just utter love affair with the screen game, which is where McKinnon mm, essentially sure. lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but man, you you really see this guy he's just on fire it's like an nba jam nfl blitz player that's a those are video games john where they they can catch fire and that is mckinnon right now and so i know he's touching the ball a lot what did i just say in the last three games that's even that's way more touches than he's he's had probably his entire time in kansas city whatever 24 plus 17 is that is his whole career actually 34 41 41 touches so maybe he's he's fine there but i I, I almost think this is a player you have to feed early in games. And I've I've been very forward on this podcast about how into Isaiah Pacheco I am. And I think that he's still I still think he's the best early down back. We saw I, I mentioned the pass protection problem he had early in this game. And McKinnon is definitely the best pass protector when it comes to the running backs. But I almost like I almost find a that he needs to be touching the ball even more. Is that crazy to be saying just because of what we've seen? Well, I don't know if it's crazy, but it's it's definitely a good feature, isn't it? You know, we, we if they if they have to put Pacheco on the sidelines because he's hurt or because he just fumbled the ball again, yeah. You know, McKinnick can go in there and play. I I I think I agree with you though that Pacheco is the guy on early down plays. I mean, he just continues to be very impressive, mm-hmm. um, more impressive than I thought he was going to be. I'll give you credit, Pete. You were all over this right from the beginning of the season. And I was like, well, you know, we'll see how Edwards Alaire does. And so I have to give you credit there because you saw this right away and he's been excellent here down the stretch of the season and putting up very good uh, average yards per carry and, um, and, and being very impressive in the early downs. The only problem has been what you would expect from a rookie. Um, you know, occasionally losing track of the ball. And it's been, what, four fumbles this season. And, you know, the fumble yesterday could have ended up being very costly. It could have been the difference in the game. Thankfully, mm-hmm. the Chiefs were able to to come back from that. But, you know, if it happens in the fourth quarter or something, they might not. So, um, you know, that's something that we have to be concerned about. And and yeah, we've had a number of articles on the, on the site about the turnover issue and how the Chiefs have had a negative turnover margin uh through the course of the season and as i pointed out last week the chiefs have continued to play very well even when they have a negative turnover margin but it's a lot better if it's less if it goes up you know if it goes up to a to a positive number and the chiefs are going to need to do that because it's going to be very hard to beat uh quality teams in the playoffs with a negative turnover margin yeah and very quickly and this is just a marinated takeaway in general not really about the game but i I've been seeing in Kansas City media, and I've been hearing the questions at the press conferences. I'm not going to call any names or whatever, but the rookie, the rookie wall question is coming up, and it's just such a non-existent thing in Kansas City because Trent McDuffie got injured. So you're talking mm-hmm. about a college season; he's not he's not playing a full season. So what rookie right. wall does he have? He's he's still on track to play the number of college games. Isaiah Pacheco was not the feature back until the middle of the season, right? So then you go to Joshua Williams and Jalen Watson, who have been really rotating and that only didn't happen until the middle of the season when you know Rashad Fenton mm-hmm. was injured slash traded the only player that you should have a rookie wall concern for is George Karloftis who's been playing 
pretty consistently the whole year, but it's it's been well, but it's that time of year when we're supposed to about asking about the rookies. Like, no, these rookies don't really have as, as much tread in their tires as as you normally would. Well, for different and even Carl Aftis hasn't been played that much. He's played rotation. Yeah, it's he's you know on his best game, he's getting maybe maybe seventy percent of the snaps. But what I'm saying, if there's any, there's only one player that really the rookie wall mm-hmm. could impact yeah. from a how much tread you have on their right. their tire standpoint. And I just I don't know why everyone has been so worried about that. These rookies are fresh for the most part, right? right. You know, as fresh as they would be in a, in a college season. Not the greatest circumstances, you know. If Trent McDuffie had been healthy the whole year, okay, you know, if, if Isaiah Pacheco had been the starter from week one, mm-hmm. then yeah, yeah, maybe a rookie wall would be a a thing. But you don't have to worry about this. Yeah, I think these guys are young and they're playing basically the length and snaps of what a college season would be. So I don't, I don't, I don't know. That that's something we're to not be worried about. So if you've been hearing that from the podium about the rookie wall. That's not something that that well, anyone needs to worry about. They, they have a note in their calendar in December to start asking <laughs> about the, the rookie wall. You know, isn't that this, how this works? <laughs> I don't I don't blame I don't blame for the question of being asked when it matters. But it, 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 <laughs> unfortunately, it doesn't matter this year. All right. Those are your marinated takeaways for this week. The Chiefs will now focus their attention on the Seattle Seahawks, which happens on Saturday, Christmas Eve game, noon. Arrowhead time. It's the best game left on the schedule. The Seattle Seahawks are still trying to drive for an NFC playoff position. They've fallen off a little bit, but we'll see if, if they're able to, to do something against the Chiefs. Again, this is a, another test for you to get right. I think the biggest thing, I hate when I run myself into cliches, but I'm going to say one. The Chiefs are, are, are in ways beating themselves right now. I would love to just see sure. a clean game. That's what I want to mm-hmm. see against Seattle. Yeah. And and I think if you do that, you'll see a dominant performance. You've been hoping that come came the last two weeks. It hasn't. That it's been very unclean, dirty in a way. But they've managed to pull out wins despite not having these clean games. So if you put a clean game together on Christmas Eve. I think you'll see the results that that you're looking for. All right. When we come back, we will get into our news roundup for the week. You're listening to the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show, continuing our program with the news roundup that was leading into the chiefs and the Texans. And the first thing we have here, John is the update. We got on McCole Hardman and Kadarius Tony. The chiefs essentially said that they were ramping up Hardman. He didn't end up playing against the Texans. Kadarius Tony was limited the entire week. This was a surprise for me. I did not think that he would be playing Mm -hmm. in this game just simply because of the status. He was limited. They were not giving him full practices and being ultra cautious and conservative he only ended up playing 10 snaps but i thought he looked pretty good especially on that punt return leaves for a yard or two it seemed like he, he had some human joystick to him i felt like mm-hmm. and yeah. you're only able to get some human joystick going if, is if you're feeling 100 percent and it, and it seemed like he came out of the game all right which is a good thing and hardman from these videos i posted some on my twitter account last week Again, we only got the beginning of practice where we're able to see these guys, but he looked pretty good too. So I, I could see him getting back in the mix this week. And that this is right where you want to be for the health of your wide receivers as the playoffs approaches. So good to see both Hardman and Tony back in the mix. And I, I know there had been some questions about both of these guys as to would they return period just because of the complications that can be with a hamstring. We didn't really know a ton about this admin thing with Hardman, but good to have them back in the mix. It's been interesting to see how the offenses look without Hardman. I think going into the season, everybody was like, yeah, we'll take him or leave him. You know, he's not really helping us that much. But 
there's a dimension of the offense that is not available when Hardman is not on the field. That speed matters and uh, gives the Chiefs another option on any given play. It was kind of like with Watkins, not to the same extreme, of course, where we saw that the te- the offense was significantly better when Watson was on the field and than when he wasn't. But, um, you know, I think we've seen a little of that with Hardman. I think he's been more valuable than people have been giving him credit for. And, there was uh, a play in this game, the early McKinnon touchdown, mm-hmm. where Tony yep. played the the Hardman role, where yes, was moving in the in the backfield and really got three or four of the the, the defensive players to shift, mm-hmm. and McKinnon just leaked out and was wide open. And it McKinnon's become one of these guys, just like a Hardman or a Tony, where you give them a little bit of space and they're off. And so good on McKinnon and and good on for the Chiefs for exploiting that. And you notice Patrick Mahomes and even Juju Smith-Schuster, when we were speaking to him in the locker room last week, we were like, well, what are you, you guys missing between Tony and Hardman? And it's simple. They're just like, speed, baby. That's what that's what Juju said. He said, speed, baby. And it's just this idea of you're going to keep these defensive backs honest and you're going to mm-hmm. keep yeah. the teams that have selectively blitzed the Chiefs honest by having these speedsters on the field, and you're just a better team because you know that's how they they built the roster. So hopefully Hardman is is back healthy this week. And after Kadarius Tony got, I believe it was ten snaps, you'd see him get more as we go here. All right, let's go to the next story that we have up, and this was a, a nice article by one of our our newer writers, Maurice uh, Elston, about the three things that the Chiefs could improve to increase their chances of a Super Bowl run. He wrote consistent production from wide receivers. I think we're, we're starting to see that, especially from Juju, now that he's been back in the mix for a few games. Tackling, still not great. We're working on it. Limiting yeah. turnovers, still not great. We're working on it. But uh, good on Maurice for identifying these things that, uh, again, two, two of the three have really not been improved. I, I thought you started to see some of that more consistent wide receiver production in this game, and you should continue to see that as those guys get healthy that we were just talking about. Yeah, well, Maurice wrote an article this morning that's on arrowheadpride.com talking about that specific thing that the that, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster has actually stepped up here in the last few weeks, and that's that's very encouraging to see. Next headline here, Chiefs defense is aware more turnovers are necessary as the playoffs loom. Not a ton of turnovers forced yesterday, but a key one did seem a little bit scary mm-hmm. here in yeah. beautiful Kansas City, Missouri, and Kansas City, Kansas of – the Texans with the ball in their hands with an ability to kick the field goal and win the game in overtime. Unbelievable that they were in that position. And Frank Clark came around, knocked the ball away. Willie Gay was able to fight them off, and we know what happened next. So still not getting a ton of turnovers. The Justin Reed and the defensive backs coaches were optimistic that this would start to happen, and one would open the floodgates. So maybe this is the fumble forced that gets the Chiefs going when it comes to Turning the football over a little bit more consistently, but no no bigger moment than for Frank Clark to knock this ball away and Willie Gay to recover it. Yeah, that was a that was a big play. We it seemed like we saw a lot more of those in the 2019 season, which was the season when the Chiefs had a positive turnover <laughs> margin. So uh, I guess we did see more of those kinds of plays from the defense in 2019. But that's really been uh, the one thing that they haven't had this season mm-hmm. on the defense that would make a big difference in how things would look if, right now. I if think. you could just write this turnover differential ship, so to speak, mm-hmm. yeah, you would see a grand difference in some of these games. Yeah. And I think everyone would breathe a, a sigh of relief. You're just not getting it. And, yeah. and it's on the offense for turning the football over. It's on the defense for not being able to force these turnovers. 
I, I hate to continue to bring it up, but I also think there's just a generally different feel about this team. This was a former marinated takeaway. I'm re remarinating it. Well, now it's especially marinated. Now this thing, like you should see the meat just falling off. <laughs> but it's a Travis Kelsey fumble in Cincinnati. If he doesn't fumble that football, this is an entire different field than the entire team. It's one yeah. play, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And because they win that game, in my opinion. So hate to bring it up again, but it's true. And that's another turnover point for you. All right. Brandon Williams revealed the reason he chose the Chiefs over anyone else. I thought that was cool. So Brandon Williams had a relationship with Giants, D.C., Wink Martindale from their days in Baltimore. He was considering going to New York and then eventually landed on Kansas City where he knows Joe Cullen and Steve Spagnolo. And that was because he had a baby on the way. His family is in Arkansas, which is a few hours away. So in close proximity. They ended up having the baby. Everything ended up working out. The baby was healthy. And he gets to play uh, with Patrick Mahomes on a on a Super Bowl caliber team. Not to say the Giants haven't been saucy this year. They'll probably make the playoffs as a, a wild card. But Brandon Williams ends up in Kansas City for family reasons. And you see him wearing, you know, this is one of these players. We, we always, these Super Bowl years, we always talk about these players that come in late. It reminds me a little bit of, of the Mike Pinnell in that, in that Super Bowl run where maybe the, this little name can make a, a big difference mm -hmm. when it comes to yeah. just shoring up the run game and being a little bit nastier up front. He's got 12 years of experience. And really, really good guy. We found that out in the locker room about the Giants and the family thing and the baby thing. And it's it's great to have Brandon Williams here. I, I think just a huge addition um, when you go back to the idea of Turk Wharton being out, it was such a key player and just added depth because, hey, if some, one, something were happening to one of these guys, you still have Danny Shelton on the practice squad as well. So it's just... Injuries happen at the end of the year, not putting yourself in a position that you were in with, with the Bucks Super Bowl in the offensive line. I was a little concerned about this guy when he first uh, was signed to the practice squad, but he's actually uh, shown out pretty well, you know, for a guy who's just been on the, the team for uh, a few couple of weeks now, I guess, and moved up to the roster very quickly. Um, he's actually been uh, quite effective, and uh, I'm very pleased that they they found this guy because you need you're right you need these kinds of players late in the season to come in and make a contribution in a place where you need help. And the Chiefs definitely were in that position with Wharton on the sidelines. I think that's another player that maybe wasn't appreciated as fully as he should have been. And uh, so I'm glad that they were able to to find someone who could fill that role here as the season comes to an end. Another headline, Chiefs have produced sacks, but the four-man rush has left much to be desired. I think this is something that the Chiefs are, are still working on. Man, how good did, did Mike Dan and Carlos Dunlap play in this game, especially early? Carlos Dunlap had some key uh, bat-downs at the line. He ended up hitting the quarterback two times. Mike Dan was also able to hit the quarterback, and these guys are a little bit fleeter of foot in. Mills and Driscoll cannot believe they're doing the two quarterback thing in the NFL. I still can't believe it. <laughs> and they, they almost beat the Chiefs with it, which is unbelievable, too. But um, they need to be better there. And I, I think they realize that, especially with with it's a it's a method that, that a lot of teams use against the Chiefs where you only rush for you don't really blitz a ton and you're able to give a lot more attention to the receivers that that damage you. And I think having that positive against teams like Buffalo, who have. Diggs and Davis and McKenzie and Cincinnati who have that wide receiver trio led by Jamar Chase and even some of these other teams that, that are in the mix, just being able to not necessarily always have to lose a Willie Gay or a Nick Bolton or even a Ladarius need to a blitz just because you're having to orchestrate that pressure. I just think it's going to be so key. They've locked in on finishing and asking Joe Cullen how that happens. He just thinks that he needs a defensive line to play more in unison. Chris Jones eats up a lot of blockers. These guys got to win one-on-one -on -one battles. I think that's the key. And 
I think if they get that going as the playoffs begin, it'll be a lot easier to win football games. Well, that's always going to be the key, isn't it? Winning those one-on-one battles. Um, that's that's what the whole trench battle is built on, is is beating the guy across from you. Mm. So that isn't particularly surprising. And, you know, it just goes to show that that's going to be one of the places the Chiefs are going to have to invest some some assets in improving uh, in the coming seasons. We're just not going to be able to get by with having a, an average or below average defensive line, not in this league. And, and remember, it's tough to find. I mean, I, I know Chandler Jones had the wildest interception of all time yesterday, and you look at the other teams in the division, like Khalil Mack really hasn't been amazing in LA and Von Miller is hurt for the entire year. So just because the chiefs didn't make those moves doesn't mean it was a mistake, but it does feel like in some capacity, they need to address it as they get onto next year. I think this is the team for now with Brandon Williams and Dunlap and you're going to have to win what you have. And so we'll see, but yeah, I could, I could see them investing on the other side. Andy Heck had a quote that I want to repeat about his pancake. This was about Trey Smith's pancake in the week prior against the Broncos It's from Andy Heck. I made the comment to him that, hey, man, this is illegal in 49 states. <laughs> Apparently, it's illegal in Colorado. I just had to repeat that on the podcast. That was excellent. I love when these coaches who have been a little bit quieter as the years, you start to see them get a little bit more comfortable at the podium. This has been a change the NFL instituted this year where the assistant coaches have to speak every other week. Uh, this is the other sh- editor show, so we can say the legwork makes it a little bit harder on some Thursdays this year, John, mm-hmm. but it, it is yeah. nice to, I think, see these guys get a little bit more comfortable and see their personalities sure. come out. Mm-hmm. Just It's just more work for us, and of course, it's all about <laughs> us. That's right. Speaking of all about us, Patrick Mahomes hopes to clean up interceptions as the team heads to Houston. He was able to do that. He actually had the most efficient game ever when it comes to 40 or more passes. 36 of 41 is the best completion percentage. I believe it was around, I forget the number, 87 or 88. 88%, I think. 88% of passes. That is the NFL record since 1950 of someone who's thrown 40 or more passes in the completion percentage. So he completely cleaned it up. A Chiefs record defeating Alex Smith. Remember how great Alex Smith would take care of the football, John? Yeah. Yeah. So Pat got this. I don't have it pulled up, but I'll just tell you. Pat got this, and he's now the number one for completion percentage in Chiefs history in a game with 20 or more passes and then two through five are Alex Smith because he's Mr. Efficiency, <laughs> but Mahomes, it took about 77 or 78 games, but he finally got him in a game. And in that game, they went to overtime with the one win team. So make sense of it. If you can, uh, Mahomes prepared for his first NFL game in the state of Texas. And I think, I don't know if you felt this way, John, but I felt like him going back to Texas was going to be somewhat of a big deal for him. And he, he really did rise to the occasion in a way. Well, you have to wonder if that's part of what uh, made that performance happen uh, on Sunday. It was that there were people there who'd come from his hometown and some that he didn't know for sure were coming because he made reference to that, that he had some people coming that he'd invited and required tickets for and so forth. But he also was pretty sure there'd be people there he didn't that didn't he didn't know would be there. And uh, I think that, you know, plays into how you feel about a game and and uh, how you perform in a game. So you have to wonder if that was part of what uh, made this a special performance for him. Speaking of special performances, Juju Smith-Schuster had 10 catches for 88 yards. Mm-hmm. was yeah. able to talk to him in the locker room with a couple other media members. But what I was re- able to really get out of him was just him talking about getting back after the concussion, which happened a few games ago. And what he was able to reveal to me was that he – was winded when he came back just because and not really stemming from the concussion, just stemming from not being able to run. 
So when you're in the Legion of Zoom offense and you sometimes pace of play go as fast as the Chiefs like to operate, you're going to need to run to stay up with your wind in these games. Mm -hmm. You saw the Chiefs ease him back in. And then he really explained to me that he didn't feel himself for a couple games. And you saw him break out against the Broncos. And I'm like, okay, he's back. And he admitted that, which was great to, to hear. Now, he got banged up yesterday. I There were a couple of those hits, especially guys had a concussion earlier in the year that you're like, oh, my God, okay, is he all right? But was still able to catch every one of his targets, 10 catches for 88 yards. Kelsey had 10 catches for 105 yards. Has really been this guy that the Chiefs brought in to be this counterpart to Travis Kelsey, and I think he's, he's risen to the occasion. The health of Juju Smith-Schuster is another one of those things that's going to be imperative to the Chiefs being able to win in the playoffs because of how reliable he's become. It's been through the air. It's really become Kelsey and Smith-Schuster, McKinnon, surprise, surprise. That That's wild that he's number three almost clearly now. And then, you know, you're mixing in MVS here and there. Funny that MVS sometimes drops the easy ones and then makes this bullet catch in the yeah. end zone somehow. Yeah. Very mm-hmm. Demetrius yeah. Harris of him. I think you're going to want to have a <laughs> a fourth target here because the more targets that you can have the better but I, I feel like the trust right now is kelsey smith schuster mckinnon of course we're getting tony and hardman back in the mix but i just feel like those are the three reliable guys right now which might be enough but i i really could see a, another receiver stepping up pass catcher stepping up that that would maybe even give patrick mahomes even more comfort when it comes to this offense well i think hardman could be that guy um you know People always said that uh, Hardman and Mahomes weren't quite on the same page, but I don't think he was any worse than MVS has been. Um, you know, he's uh, he's been fairly reliable and has been very speedy. And um, we and just having that extra guy available to put up some different looks in different places can make all the difference. And of course, Tony is the wild card here. You know, what's what's going to happen with this guy? Is he going to play enough to make a difference? And what kind of a difference can he make if he gets out there? So. I'll be very interested to see how those things play out. Yeah, I uh, I'm optimistic. I, I know sometimes that, that you don't want to hear optimism on this show, but you know that's why you listen to the show and BK on Fridays for that that pessimism. <laughs> All right, when we come back, we're going to go through the playoff picture and we have some flash poll results. You're listening to the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show, closing things down, John. This is your specialty at this time of year. It's the playoff picture. So. Following this 30-24 win against the Texans and what happened around the NFL, where do the Chiefs stand as they now turn their attention to Week 16? Well, we had uh, some good news uh, over the weekend and the Ravens lost a game when they were one of the teams that we needed to lose a game to give us some additional openings um, for the postseason. But we didn't get losses from uh, the Bengals or the Bills which were the the ones that we really need to be most concerned about. The Ravens were kind of down that list a little bit, but it, they were in there. They were still uh, in a position they could be competing for that number one seed. Of course, the Chiefs have a playoff berth guaranteed. They have a at least one home game guaranteed as division champions. Um, so that's no longer something to worry about. All we're focused on now is the possibility that the Chiefs can get the one seed. The main thing to remember is that the Chiefs will need to win all three of their final games to have any realistic chance at it. For that to occur, if the Chiefs win the last three, they will need at least one of the Bills games that is yet to be played to be a loss for the Bills. 
Uh, their opponents through the end of the season are the Chicago Bears, the uh, Cincinnati Bengals, and then the last week of the season, the Baltimore Ravens. Now, the game that strikes me is the one that the the Bills are most likely to lose would be against the Bengals. I think the Bengals yeah. are really well motivated right now, and uh, I think that's a game that the that where the Bengals could actually win. The problem is that in order for uh, the Bills to lose that game um, at the hands of the of the Bengals. Uh, that means the Bengals also need to lose a game too. Um, this and so they would need to lose to the Patriots this weekend in order to open up a scenario where the Chiefs could could get the number one seed by winning just two of their remaining games. Right. I, th- um, I think I think it's become very clear now that the Chiefs need to yeah. run the table. If they right. Have a shot right. Here. Yeah. The, the odds what, that we would have in a situation where they could sit their starters in week week 18 are pretty much out the window now. Too much time gonna, has gone by. I'm OK to be honest here. This is just how I feel. I, I feel the Chiefs are, are more comfortable playing the Bills right now than the Bengals. The nightmare scenario is if the Bengals beat the Bills and the Chiefs end up dropping one of these games, because then mm-hmm. the Bengals would have the bye, which is not I'm telling you, it's not what the Chiefs want. I, it it right. just isn't. And so you run the table, you take care of business here, and you hope that the Bengals are able to beat the Bills, which they are capable of. They're right sure. there with the Chiefs mm-hmm. and the Bills. They yeah. don't get enough respect for for being that. I mean, they actually, I should take that back. They get that respect against the Chiefs because of their record against the Chiefs. Now, I still don't think they get that respect against the Bills, which is which again just drives me nuts. in in, in the grand scheme of things, this Bills obsession <laughs> this year has it's been a year long thing of driving me nuts. So. We'll see if the Bengals are able to, to beat the Bills and help out the Chiefs in a way. That's that's the weird way the NFL works in the final weeks of the season. All right, John, I have a flash poll for you. Okay. This is usually an off-season thing we do on the editor's show because a lot of times we have nothing to talk about, to be honest. And we have a poll this morning. So the the Green Bay Packers have decided to move on from Sammy Watkins and wave him, which means that because we're past the trade deadline, any team can claim him, even mm-hmm. though he's, he's a veteran. He's, he doesn't cost a lot. And and that, that to me, is one of the, the interesting wrinkles about this. Let me read what, what Pelissero had on this earlier today. Any team claiming Sammy Watkins would take the rest of his one-year contract, including just $186,000 in base salary, plus uh, $19,000 for each game he's active the rest of the regular season. Now, to to me and you, John, twenty two hundred thousand yeah. dollars is a lot. To Clark Hunt, that is about ten dollars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, really, he's free. And um, I asked the the Arrowhead Pride Twitter followers, Sammy Watkins, yes or no? About four thousand voted. Um, have you looked at this, John? Or, or can no, you? No, I, take... I haven't seen it. No. Huh? Okay, so four thousand voted. How do you think this broke down? It's just yes or no. Yeah, uh, I think this is going to break yes because people always love to have players come back to the Chiefs, no matter who they are. So, it's, yes, got twenty six point two percent. Really? No, got seventy three point eight percent. I know that to me was wow. Um, that to me was less than I thought I would get. So, one in every four Chiefs fans would have him back, and some of the comments. Uh, they range. Some guy says hard pass. Others say ha- hamstring issues have always been a problem. A guy named Chris says, I'm old enough to remember playoff Sammy. We should at least kick the tires. 
some are saying playoff Sammy. I definitely keep him because Juju is is having some injury issues. Someone said, good to see the Chiefs fans actually do have a limit when it comes to this. And then someone else <laughs> said, and this is a good point, well, Tony getting back and Hardman returning soon, I'd say pass. I just think it depends on, on what you're you're using him for. I don't I don't know if the Chiefs need seven receivers on their active roster, which is what they would be looking at. But if he wants to hang out in the practice squad for an injury to happen, and if he's in a place where he's healthy, he knows the offense. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it kind of might be like that Melvin Gordon thing. I don't know. I, well, I, I get it why people would be concerned about injuries if you're talking about signing him in August, you know, and he has to be available for X number of games to make it worth signing him up. But going into the postseason, uh, and he's, you know, injury insurance, uh, that seems like a, a no brainer to me. I'm, I don't know. He already knows the system. Uh, one thing that gives me pause is it just feels like when the chiefs are done with you, they're done with you, especially in this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There haven't been a ton of comebacks. You know, the only time you'll see a comeback potentially is when a player is injured and ends up going away from the chiefs for a while and then never really plays for another team. And then he comes back Um, or you see the one day retirement, which doesn't really count. I, and so I tend to think they won't do it, but would I be stunned no, especially if Sammy Watkins is good with just playing a real, real, real reserve role, which is like break glass if needed type. Well, deal. it seems to me that the best move for the Chiefs would be to try and grab him after he clears waivers. Yeah, because, you know, if you, if they have to put him on the roster, then you're getting into another situation where he's taking up a roster spot and might be injured. I'm not sure the Chiefs yeah. are willing to give up another receipt, you know, to take up a roster spot with another receiver at this point. You'd be surprised to hear this, but he had injury issues this season. And I just would be surprised <laughs> if a team would claim him without knowing what the deal is there. So I, yeah. I tend to think he'll clear waivers, but. Where well, then it's up. a whole different conversation. You know, if it's a question of having Sammy Watkins on the practice squad, I'd think you'd want to do that. Uh, that's just what I think. I don't know. I, I get, I'm always amused by people who will uh, want to re-sign any player who used to be on the Chiefs. You know, uh, people talking about Kareem Hunt all the time. They talk about Eric Fisher all the time. They talk about Justin Houston all the time. And I don't think any one of those three players is somebody the Chiefs are particularly interested in bringing back. Justin but, Houston's actually having a great year. I can't. He I can't is. Believe, I, I can't believe I, it. It's I agree. Crazy. And yeah, but I think the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs w- moved on from him because right. they didn't think he was going to fit in the system with Steve Spagnuolo. I think that's all it was, yeah. and that hasn't changed. You know, since 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 Houston was gone. So, you know, yeah, he's been good in the places that he's been, certainly for the amount of money he's cost them, but he was costing the chiefs a lot more than that. And if he had not worked yeah. out in the Spagnolo defense, then that would have been a big, a big problem. So, uh, you know, it's a, but I, but it, I find it amusing that people are up for getting Justin Houston and uh, Kareem hunt and Eric Fisher back, but they're saying no to Sammy Watkins. I think that's pretty weird, but what's, I don't know. What's Dontari Poe up to? That's yeah, there you go. Hungry pig right. Eric B. Eric Berry. Who knows? <laughs> All right. That's it for our Arrowhead Pride Editor show. As a reminder, if you could and you would, please.
please leave us a rating and review on Apple iTunes. We're 40 away from cake. I don't think it's happening. If you guys want to prove me wrong, that would be great. Keep it locked in at arrowheadpride.com. Keep it locked in on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. We will continue to roll through in some capacity as we take in what will be the holidays coming up here. If if you do celebrate Christmas, Merry Christmas. If you celebrate something else, Happy Holidays to you. Thank you to Steve Serta for for orchestrating this thing behind the glass. Thank you to John Dixon. My name is Pete Sweeney. Thank you for joining us on another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. (laughs) 